I think I'm doing the Bible reading. Um, somebody was supposed to be on the computer and they made a swap and then that somebody who was swapped is also the Bible reader who has also now got COVID. So Acts chapter 1. And we're going to read the first 11 verses. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they asked, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. According to John, the Gospel writer John, Jesus' dying words were, It is finished. What was finished? Well, the the works done by Jesus were finished. The sting of death had been removed. The way of grace opened up. God's love for all mankind was demonstrated in no uncertain terms. The old sacrificial system was done away with. Direct access was now opened up to God for all. The task of coming to seek and save that which was lost was accomplished. And so it was finished. And then Jesus was buried. A few days later, Jesus rose from the dead and it all began. Mission unstoppable. The work that Jesus had finished was also about to begin. Begin in a new sense, a new chapter. When Jesus left the earth, he left the ongoing work of his kingdom in the hands of his followers who were to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
Initially, he enlisted 12 men. And this little band grew to around 70, according to Luke chapter 10. And by the time we get to the beginning of the book of Acts, there are 120 who are meeting in the upper room. 1 Corinthians 15.6 says that Jesus appeared to a group of 500 believers on one occasion. And scholars suggest that by the close of the book of Acts, 30 years later, the Christian movement had approximately or grown to approximately 100,000 people. This equates to a growth rate of around 200% for that 30-year period. 200%. Christians empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now we've just concluded a series in the book of Hebrews and today we commence looking at the book of Acts. And it's interesting that both books were written at about the same time. It was not long before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Hebrews is more theological. The book of Acts is the gospel in action. So I trust that as we come to look at the book of Acts, trust that we come with open hearts, open minds, ready to receive perhaps new directions, new insights, maybe even new experiences of God that we haven't had before through the presence of his Holy Spirit moving amongst us. Let's pray. Father, we again come before you and thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us through your word. We thank you for the book of Hebrews and what we've just been learning as we've been studying that book. Thank you for the the new insights we gained from the book of Hebrews. But as we now commence looking into the book of Acts, Father, help us to put, I guess, legs on what we have learnt, that our thinking, our theology may be really expressed in our our lives into our community around about us, wherever you've placed us. And so, Father, we thank you for your word again and the way that you minister to us through your word and through your Holy Spirit. We open ourselves to you afresh as we begin to look at the book, the book of Acts. And we ask this in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen. So we've just heard the first 11 verses of chapter 1. And within these verses, we see a clear mission statement for the church. These words fueled a worldwide revolution that has now transformed and rescued hundreds of millions of people. As we look through Acts, we'll see ordinary people accomplishing extraordinary things not under their own strength or wisdom, but under the power and the presence of Almighty God, the grace of God. I hope that for each one of us, we can agree with Peter Wagner, who said, we not only want to study the book of Acts, but we want to live it. I trust that we'll have that 
in our mind as we go through this book. We want to live out what we're, what we're reading. In the Northern News this week, I included a quote from J.B. Phillips that says this, Surely this is the church as it was meant to be. It is vigorous and flexible. For these are the days before it became fat and short of breath through prosperity or muscle-bound by over-organisation. These people did not make acts of faith, they believed. These people did not say their prayers, they prayed. I wonder how many of us say our prayers. We could say them by rote. Do we say our prayers or do we pray? They did not hold conferences on psychosomatic medicine, they simply healed the sick. By modern standards, they may have been naive, but perhaps because of their very simplicity, because, perhaps because of their readiness simply to believe, to obey, to give, to suffer, and if necessary, to die, the Spirit of God found that he could work in them and through them, and so they turned the world upside down. They turned the world upside down because God was at work in and through them. And I wonder whether, at times, whether we need to be a little more naive. Just simply believe. Simply pray. Simply trust. Let's be open to God's mission unstoppable working in and through us. And this series could change us as a church, as individuals within the church, but it could change us as a church. Perhaps God will use it to call someone or a number of people into ministry that we haven't been involved in before, here or elsewhere. He may call somebody into a new area of ministry. These first 11 verses deal with 40 days between the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension. the first thing that we see here is that Jesus' ministry continues, but it's under new conditions. Verse 1 says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. I want to just highlight one little word in there. The word began. Jesus began to do and to teach and now the church must continue to do what Jesus began to do and to teach. What Jesus did and taught is the template for the continuation of God's kingdom here on earth. And the book of Acts, as we know it, the Acts of the Apostles, it could be renamed... The books, sorry, the Acts of Jesus, part two. The Acts of Jesus, part two, because it's Jesus who is at work amongst us and working through us. For Jesus, the doing and the teaching went together. And certainly he was a miracle worker, but at the same time he was a brilliant teacher. God's church... Over the centuries, God's church, I think, has failed to keep both works and teaching in balance. 
If you look back over the church, the history of the church, there have been times when we've been so concerned about having our theology or our teaching correct that we've failed in the doing. To the point where we no longer expect miracles to occur. At other times, the church has focused so much on doing that she's been swept along in spiritual experiences that may not necessarily be from God and have not had a firm theological foundation. But the two must go hand in hand. The church, for it to be most effective, must be teaching and doing. And Luke begins by saying that he wrote about all the things that Jesus did and taught and then prior to his ascension, Jesus gave further instructions to his disciples through the the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 3 he says, after his suffering, that is Jesus' suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Jesus repeatedly showed his disciples that he was alive. He made the fact that he was alive absolutely undeniable. There was no question in their mind, no doubt whatsoever that Jesus was alive. And Christianity is based upon the proven fact that Jesus is alive. Jesus has been raised back from the dead. And his appearances brought the disciples back together and united them and empowered them to go forward with conviction. Set them on their mission. And we all know that Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship with the living God our living saviour. And most of the religions of the world exist apart from their founder. Why? Because they're based upon a particular set of teachings or principles or ethics. And Christianity, if you like, can be reduced to a religion if we take out the relationship and all we concentrate on is the principles and the ethics. It can become a religion. But Christianity is inseparably linked to the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It's not a case of following the rules or living by the ethics. Christianity is communing, as we were reminded last week, communing with our Heavenly Father. The fact of the resurrection meant that A dramatic change took place in Jesus' followers. You can only begin to imagine what it must have been like for the disciples when they saw Jesus resurrected. The change that must have taken place for them. And he continues to radically change people today because he's alive. Because he's living within us. And he seeks to to make those changes. Verses 4 and 5 reveal to us that Jesus intended to usher in the power of the Holy Spirit. To fill each of his followers 
with the abiding and life-changing presence of the Holy Spirit that was to come. No longer would only a select few who, in the Old Testament, it was a select few who were given the Holy Spirit. Now, all who would follow Jesus, acknowledging him as Lord and Saviour, would receive the Holy Spirit. And as long as he's the power source and not our flesh, then nothing is impossible. God can do the extraordinary through the ordinary. God can do extraordinary things through you and I. One stage Jesus was talking with Philip and he said to Philip, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. It's all relationship. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. With the Holy Spirit as our source of power, we may continue to do and to teach as Jesus did. As the Holy Spirit works and convicts and challenges and changes people, it is God working through us. I wonder how many of us take with us a real sense of that, that God Almighty, the Holy Spirit, is within me and is working through me to those around me. God is wanting to use me to to speak to others to draw them closer to him. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you walk around thinking like that? I have God within me. And people see God when they're looking at me. What I want to do just now is consider for a moment the church as an organisation. Think about the church as as an organisation. Over the years, this church, not this church, but the wide church, the greater church, the organisation, it's become very complex. Various denominations operate very differently from one another. For some, they are very much directed from the top. There's a hierarchy in those churches. Others are totally autonomous They set their own agenda, their own theological position and thinking. And then home churches generally run as their leader ordains. Go in any direction. But here at the beginning we have, I think, the model of how the church should operate. And clearly the CEO of the church, the boss, is Jesus Christ. He earned that position not by intimidation or financial power or because of of who he knew or luck, but by the most awesome display of sacrificial love in the history of the universe. The most awesome display of sacrificial love. Church leaders today must continue to serve in love, as we all ought to do serve in love sacrificial love but as the ceo of the church 
Jesus has the authority to set the vision or set the, the mission of the church. He casts the vision. He sets the agenda. He seeks to reproduce that vision in the personnel of the organisation. And this can be different from church to church to some degree, as we all have our, each church has a specific ministry. The primary purpose, however, for every church remains the same. And that is to know Jesus Christ and to make him known. But in any organisation, there's also a management level, middle management, if you like, and the purpose of the the management is to try and ensure that the personnel have the tools and the authority to fulfil what the CEO sets as the agenda, sets as the vision, the mission. The Holy Spirit fulfils this role. He's the power source. He's indwelling each believer. He's transforming our lives. He's giving us the tools and the authority such that we not only proclaim that that vision, but we live it out. It becomes a part of who we are. As we study Acts, we'll see it over and over again. When they were looking for leaders or looking for servants to lead, They looked for someone who was filled with the Holy Spirit. Repeatedly filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's crucial to the success of any ministry. And finally, every organisation has the workers, the employees. Well, that's you and I. And although in this case, according to verse 6, the disciples... They still didn't get the picture. They still hadn't got the vision. They still hadn't got a hold of the agenda. They were willing willing and prepared to do what they were asked to do, but it was only after they received the Holy Spirit did they begin to really piece it all together and became vital participants in, in his mission, in the vision. And then they set about the work of bringing in the lost, that others would be adopted into God's family. So mentioned last week from John 15, Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. And the branch can do nothing unless it is attached to the vine. That's where we get our life. It's where we, we get our empowerment. But the vine cannot bear fruit without the branch. God depends on us to be fruitful, to continue the work that Christ had already begun, to do and to teach. We notice in verses 7 and 8 that Jesus doesn't rebuke the disciples for their misunderstanding his mission at this point. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't say either, he doesn't say no to some future Jewish resurrection or the, the kingdom of Israel being restored. He doesn't say, no, that's not happening. But what he does say is, don't be distracted by what may or may not happen in the future. And I think in our current environment, there's some words 
we really need to take hold of. Don't be distracted by what may or may not happen in the future. Instead of getting off on a side road, here's the task that I'm setting you. This is what Jesus is saying. Don't get distracted. Here's the task. And notice that these are not commands from Jesus, but prophecies. He says, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit is going to make sure of that. This is still the role of the Holy Spirit, that we may be empowered by him to be his witnesses, witnesses under Christ. That is still the role of the Spirit, but that is still our role, to be his witnesses. After he said this, he was taken up from their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. But these are the last recorded words of Jesus on earth. So can the task for the church be any clearer? I don't think so. Can the power source be confused? I don't think so. He said, it is not for you to know the times and the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. One of the difficulties I think that we have is in looking at verses like this is we think, well, if I've got the power, then... It should all be happening now. Whatever God wants me to do, I'll just go and do it. And I'll find things to do under the power of God. But we need to be led by the Lord, led by the Spirit. And it doesn't mean that there is something to do every moment of every day, to go and find somebody who is sick and and pray for them and that they will be healed. We do want to do that, but we still need to be led of the Spirit and trusting, trusting his guidance. Otherwise we can become... I've gone off track here. We can become um, disappointed because... Nothing's happening. But keep waiting on the Lord, being led of the Lord. Trust the Lord. task of the church, the task of each one of us is not, I don't think, political action or fundraising or buildings or even church growth. Our task is to be witnesses to the power of of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. To be witnesses under the power of Jesus and his resurrection. We live differently because Christ lives within us. We no longer live for ourselves. We no longer live for our comfort or our pleasure, for our selfish desires, but we live for Christ and we live for other people. just as he did. And John's talk 
was partly about that, that he lived to serve others. He lived to serve others. Can you and I live to serve others? Or are we too self-focused? The hearts of the disciples were set alight and Mission Unstoppable began. And these disciples weren't concerned about building a mansion, weren't concerned about financing their superannuation for their retirement. They weren't concerned about their comfort or pleasure, their own selfish desires. They lived to let others know about Jesus. They lived to serve others. And Revelation 12:11 says that they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They were prepared to die. They looked forward if necessary to death. Because they were living for Jesus and serving others. I hope that we won't make the mistake of thinking that our series in the book of Acts will be a prolonged history lesson. It's not meant to be. I expect that throughout our study of the book of Acts, we're going to be challenged. God may challenge you as individuals. He may challenge us as a church. I trust that we will all be challenged as to how can we fulfil the Great Commission? How can we serve others? How can we share the gospel? How can we let others know about the love that we've experienced from God? Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't stand against it. The question is, will we follow wherever he will lead? Will we live to serve others? How do we put legs on that? Will we share the gospel to the ends of the earth? And we go, yeah, that's over in Africa. No, the ends of the earth is your neighbour, your workmate, your schoolmate, your teacher, your doctor, the nurse in the hospital... They're the end of the earth as well. Let's pray. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, again we thank you for Jesus and his example to us. And nowhere do we see Jesus living his life concerned about his comfort or his pleasure. Only that he wanted to please you. And that his, his pleasure came in pleasing you. Father, we live in a culture that is so self-oriented that it's so easy to, to fall into that trap of wanting to live in comfort and pleasure and just do everything we can to serve ourselves. Father, help us to serve you, but to serve those around about us. 
And Lord, we pray that as we go through this series in Acts that we will indeed be challenged, challenged by your Holy Spirit to put legs on our faith, to be doers of the word. And may we be looking for opportunities, different ways that we can do that. We do want to live to bring you honour and glory and we do want to see your church grow as a result. And so we commit ourselves to you. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And to stand and sing together. And this is a song that...